0: Welcome to This Week Next Week from Group M. I'm Brian Weezer.
1: And I'm Kate Scott-Dawkins.
0: This week uh, saw probably the biggest story uh, from Twitter, of all things, right? Do, would you agree there's no bigger story than Twitter and Elon Musk?
1: Uh, certainly not in our sort of probably speech bubbles surrounding media, <laughs> definitely.
0: Well, speaking of speech, um, you know, one of the... Uh, Key storylines to this has been around uh, Elon Musk's advocations for uh, free speech absolutism. Uh, what do you think about free speech absolutism on Twitter?
1: You know, I saw someone compare it to this idea of um, the town square. Again, I just don't think that analogy holds up for me. And you know, the historical town squares were never billions of people, and they were never artificially amplified by algorithms. It just doesn't. It's not the same thing. I don't think you can equate the two.
0: Yeah, well, let, let us start off by saying we certainly uh, advocate for freedom of speech. And certainly, you know, we, living here in the United States, the, the the Constitution of the United States certainly has was probably one of the best frameworks that we can think of me as a Canadian. Uh, you know, I, I've seen a slight variation of it. The, the American ideal of freedom of speech is a very good one, um, which is different than commercializing. Um, it through advertising, where advertisers uh, do not want to be associated with certain kinds of speech. Uh, can you think of kinds of examples of speech that uh, advertisers do not wish to be associated with?
1: Oh, plenty. Uh, anyone advocating for uh, an insurrection of the capital, maybe?
0: Yeah. Or how about um, uh, defaming individuals for rescuing children and calling them pedophiles?
1: That's a good one. Uh, yeah, any sort of, yeah, threats of, of violence or any of that? Yeah, I think no. Securities no.
0: violations. That's another one. Uh, securities law violations is another thing advertisers don't typically want to be associated with. Maybe, oh, there might be some law firms. There might be some law firms who actually would like that on, you uh, think they on have free an, inc-
1: an inclusion list that's like, any law-breaking behavior, I want to advertise against them because they're going to need mm. a lawyer soon.
0: So yeah, so this free speech absolutist version of Twitter could actually have all these new categories of advertising that nobody would ever bothered to think of. Well, anyways, the bigger point here is that um, you know, it, it. While I think we all support the idea of 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 having this uh, an environment where people can share ideas, uh, free speech absolutist uh, Twitter uh, would be, shall we say, contrary to the idea of building a business. Uh, and I guess we speak with some authority here as the world's largest buyer of advertising on behalf of the world's largest brands. And we're probably a larger share of Twitter's revenue than almost anyone else. And so I guess we're speaking with some knowledge here.
1: So, I mean, we know what the Twitterverse sort of thinks about this, but what do you think investors should be mindful of uh, with this move?
0: Yeah, this is a really good point. You know, okay, so as someone who covered Twitter the stock as an analyst from the IPO until uh, I joined Group M at the beginning of 2019, uh, I observed that investors were completely mistaken in connecting monthly active users or daily active users and uh, a business. Uh, Obviously, some scale matters, but just having more monthly active users or more daily active users does not by itself produce more uh more revenue if it's an advertising based model uh, there's uh, so many other factors that go into it and so one thing that stood out to me in, in the stocks run up uh, post the news of of musk's um interest slash transaction um was that musk's interest in uh allocating let's say one percent of his wealth to have significant influence on uh twitter as a platform might be inconsistent with the interests of those who are focused on the business, as in investors who want some share of the, you know, the cash flow that the company ultimately generates. Uh, and so the, the, that that divergence of interest is not something that I think is properly uh, appreciated.
1: Yeah, we'll have to see. And, um, you know, certainly I think it's in advertisers' best interests to make their views and preferences known at this point as well, um, just as they're, the ones <laughs> supporting the uh, the platform from an advertiser point of view or revenue point of view.
0: Yeah, and as a final point, I mean, it is worth noting that, um, I mean, clearly Musk has demonstrated capacity to support uh, growth in some several businesses. I mean, people often forget he wasn't actually the founder of Tesla, um, but clearly he's done amazing things with it. And, and obviously SpaceX and uh, Starlink, you know, uh, great potential to come from that. Um, so, we don't want to rule this out, especially for a company that once was apocryphally described by Mark Zuckerberg as the clown card that fell into a gold mine. Uh, and you know it has improved itself from a managerial perspective over the years. Um, maybe there are some upsides to be had, but i I, I think uh, the the main thing that does stand out to us is is this whole free speech absolutism and and what that might mean for the business. Uh, that's the thing that we're we're certainly monitoring.
1: Let's move on. What else uh, caught your eye this week?
0: Well, I mean, there's certainly been a lot of attention on uh, the Discovery Warner um, acquisition, which, um, you know, by the time you, dear listener, are listening to this, it might actually have closed. Um, the leadership team was announced over there, and, um, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, th- this is a case of a much smaller company in Discovery taking over a much bigger one in the former Warner Media, and, you know, I, I. Um, it's uh, just going back in time um i have had a view about um at not doing particularly well with uh um their strategic goals with respect to at and or with respect to uh, warner media um and then i was super impressed with how jason kyler um reorganized uh the, the business around hbo max and the centrality of it and, and the thing that perplexed me was how on earth did they get that past AT&T's management, because the whole nature of sacrificing short-term revenue for long-term growth was, should we say, somewhat inconsistent with how AT&T tended to run itself. And um, and, well, sure enough, Jason Kyler kind of being left out of the loop, as was widely reported in the transaction, kind of explained what might have happened. Now, the real question I have to uh, wonder about, slash, um, you know, keep an eye on, is to what degree will Discovery basically keep the uh, structure uh, that Warner had in place. So far, it looks like they will, but um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, there were headlines around, I think several other executives in addition to Kyler leaving um, with the full move over to Discovery. Um, and it'll be interesting. I mean, integrations are always tricky. I've worked on those in the past, just from a cultural standpoint and an operational standpoint. So. And they have their work cut out for them in terms of blending those or figuring out how to actually, uh, you know, accomplish the kind of synergies that are usually spoken of in these things.
0: Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see just how aggressive they are in terms of continuing to expand. Um, Certainly Channel 4's uh, sale or the news that the UK government would be um, privatizing it, it, you know, creates an entity that may be one of the first... um, entities of interest for from a transactional perspective for discovery. You lived in the UK, did you ever watch uh, C4? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. Um, and there's you know, there's been a bit of buzz around that. Uh, very contentious week in, in media news this week um, with several folks coming out and saying, uh, maybe that's not their preferred uh, choice for that to be privatized, um, but it's good Content And, you know, we've talked several times in the past around what it's going to take in terms of bankrolling content for um, players outside of the Netflix, Apple, you know, uh, Amazon block, basically, to um, create a global share. So it could be really interesting.
0: That's true. Uh, our colleague uh, Simon Willis, who runs uh, uh, trading or buying there, um, actually said, "quote as saying, "It's critical that Channel Four's role as a public service broadcaster is wholly protected, including its approach to creativity and social responsibility, as it continues to deliver unique programming designed to appeal and represent to diverse audiences of modern Britain." Well put, um, and it is. I think that the industry broadly is concerned that this won't happen if, say, a Discovery or someone else buys it. Um, I gotta say, personally, I'm a huge fan of Dairy Girls. Have you seen that show?
1: I haven't. I haven't. Um, I was just gonna. Look, I think C4 is where one of my favorite shows, though, Taskmaster, went. So.
0: Of course, of course. <laughs> well, and we get to see a lot of this programming outside of the UK. Uh, I mean, you know, on the on the upshot, the fact that we see something like Dairy Girls outside of the UK on Netflix, and frankly, Netflix will be able to continue to produce. Um, that programming with their billion dollar probably soon billion pound budget um, at least will hopefully help contribute to some diversity of content even if it's not ad supported fair enough one other topic that caught my attention this week was uh, LeMond launching an English language version have you ever read LeMond
1: I think snippets a very long time ago but not regularly now
0: well, as one of the most, uh, you know, significant uh, publications in France, um, it is noteworthy that they're launching a uh, an English language version. But the the thing that stood out to me about this, do you know what the thing was that stood out to me? I don't. Do you know how they're going to do the English language translations?
1: Oh, are they going to do it using AI?
0: Artificial intelligence
1: uh. As some in humans,
0: yes, but in conjunction with AI and um. I hear AI might be a thing in our world. Um, I was wondering if perhaps you might want to tell us a little bit more about this very topic.
1: Yeah, so very exciting week this week. Uh, We launched our first edition of The Next 10, um, which joins your illustrious publication this year, next year, and now this podcast. Um, And it is a report really looking at... uh, emerging technologies and media behaviors really shaping sort of the next decade of of advertising. so um looking a bit further out than we normally get to, which is always a bit speculative in nature um but also a lot of fun in time in terms of um looking at you know what is going to bring the biggest impact over that kind of a, a timeline. Um, and so when i was thinking about that over the last you know several months, the one thing that really stood out to me that it felt like we should talk about first was artificial intelligence and and how it's being used within advertising.
0: So what's the headline on that? Like how big is AI in advertising now and and how big will it be on your estimates?
1: Yeah, so um, a lot comes down to the definition. We can jump into some of that too, but at least how we've defined artificial intelligence, uh, it's already massive. I mean, we're saying it touches, uh, you know, over $370 billion of advertising this year. Um and up to 1.3 trillion by 2032.
0: You're saying it's already here. It's already a thing in a big way.
1: Definitely, definitely. I think you'll see um, it's interesting because I think you'll see its use and its impact grow even faster than the dollar amount. Um, so we're looking at again ad revenue. So we're basically assuming that everything that is, you know, search and social on the major platforms. Is already AI enabled. Um, you know, places like Alphabet, Google, and, and Meta, they are already using quite advanced machine learning algorithms to do things like targeting and optimization. And so that revenue is already being impacted by AI. I think what we'll see even more of over the years is additional layers of intelligence, artificial intelligence, that happens at maybe the advertiser level or the agency level. And so we don't want to over count, like double count that revenue, but you might see the same campaign um, being influenced by AI at a number of different uh, stages as well.
0: Okay. Well, before we get any further, what are some of the fun words in the world of AI that most people maybe don't know?
1: This was good. We actually included in the report a bit of a a glossary because um, I think people maybe have been exposed to the terms, may not know exactly what they mean, or there's a lot of uh, acronyms and jargon that exist. So we tried to clear up some of that. Um, I mean, things like uh, GPT is, is fun. I had to look this one up when I started. Wait, G- doing
0: GPT? GPT.
1: Uh, um, usually hold on, hold numbers. on. Let me guess,
0: let me guess, let me guess. Um, uh, generally um, perfect technology, right?
1: <laughs> Not quite. Uh, generative pre-trained transformer. Uh, oh, and Transformers, better. yeah, are just a, a class of um, intelligence. Uh, there will be people maybe listening to this who can go in more depth than I can. Um, but this is really the the language model using deep learning uh, to produce text. So this is the way that we're, we're getting. You know, you've maybe seen headlines about AI writing an article or um, something like, like that. And, exactly. Uh, or writing it from scratch even. Um, so, yeah, that's the technology behind that um you also get uh gan g-a-n you want to have a go hold, that on, hold on
0: hold on hold um um great um a pizza you know it's a yale-based thing or wherever princeton is somewhere um uh, uh nauseous <laughs> i don't know i'm making it up
1: obviously <laughs> uh generative adversarial network
0: Oh, I was close, so close.
1: Yeah, it's just it's so interesting, right? I mean, they're they're using the adversarial part to you know make the outcomes overall better. They keep improving upon each other, and they take that and they you know kind of compete again, and then they take the best result. and So it's fascinating how this stuff is being used. Wow. Well,
0: so can you talk to us uh, talk to us a bit about some of the downsides about AI right now? It's
1: interesting. I mean. Yes, there are so many watchouts. Um, and I think a lot of them are to, to do with with us and how we make it. So it's not necessarily the the AI itself that is um, a risk, but it's the the biases or the not well thought out incentives that people apply that make it dangerous in a sense. Um, so if we're just tasking uh, AI with finding, um, new users for a, a sports betting app, and we don't put in any sort of controls. Um, you know, and may find that the best place to find new users is uh, by targeting people that have visited uh, addiction help sites. Um, that's certainly not, I don't think what anyone would would want or would view as a, a positive use of AI. So I think it's in um, you know the trick is going to be in getting better about. Those you know, controlling or mitigating biases and um, and the sort of rewards and incentives that we're we're training into the systems.
0: Yeah, well, I guess the issue is that because you end up applying uh, AI at a much greater scale and paired with automation, that it just amplifies a problem that might have already existed, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How do you expect all
0: of this to change in years ahead? I mean, first of all, are we going to solve it? Will we? Will we make it all perfect? Or will the <laughs> robots just take us over and destroy us all?
1: I don't know. It's probably not within the one decade timeline yet, thankfully. Um, I don't know. I think there's definitely more attention to it now, which is a good thing. Um, I think the the speed up to this point, you know, we still haven't really all the, altogether fixed content moderation. And so when you start throwing in things like um, the ability to create images and create videos and ideas like deep fakes, you know, that, that starts to become um, something that I think we need to Definitely pay attention to um, and make sure we're getting right going forward. But I'm I'm very hopeful that you know a lot of the, a lot of people we know across Group M and the network and, and other um, companies are are working very hard to get this right.
0: Yeah, well, and we'll hear from one of those uh, colleagues in just a moment here. Um, I just wanted to hit on a couple of other things quickly. Um, so can you talk a bit about how you you see different kinds of marketers applying AI today, and how that might change? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, some really interesting use cases. I'm um, speaking with someone uh, within WPP who says, but something they're already doing actually starting to do is to make what are called digital twins. So um, take a, a car ad on automotive ad, right? You often see them driving through winding mountain roads um, that they would, they would have had to go film that individually before. Now they can go film it once create a digital twin, um, and then they can, you know, use that again and again, they can put any model, any maker model of car there. Um, So it really opens up the, um, opens up to all kinds of possibilities for anyone in that sense of of the creative production side of things. We actually didn't measure that in the um, ad revenue estimates, but that's another big area for people. Um, Also, I think things like image search. So this is going to be huge for retail clients, retailers, um, anyone in that sense, I think image search is just going to really become such a bigger way that people, um, you know, look for products. Um, and that's going to change. I think a lot of how brands are thinking about when and where their product shows up, how they are, you know, looking at consideration and, and purchase from consumers in that sense
0: sense. Well, let's hear more from um, you and uh, our colleague, Daniel Hulme, you had a chance to sit down with him.
1: Yeah, I interviewed him. Uh, he is the Chief AI Officer at WPP, as you'll hear in the interview. Um, and we chatted about uh, how he looks at the world of artificial intelligence. I'm joined today by Daniel Hulme, CEO of Satalia, and now Chief AI Officer at WPP after its purchase of Satalia last year. Welcome, Daniel. Hi, Kate. Um, So we spoke while I was drafting The Next Ten, and and there were a couple of topics we covered that really stuck out to me, and I thought it would be great to discuss on this week, next week. Um, Now, before we spoke, I'd I'd heard of the singularity, this sort of catch-all term for when machines surpass human intelligence and, you know, in some versions, take over the world. Um, And that's what you actually call the the technological singularity, but it's just one of six that you've proposed um, aligned to the Common Business School PESTLE framework. You know, those letters in PESTLE standing for political, economic, social, technological, environmental, and legal. So we probably don't have time to jump into all of them here, um, and we'll put a link into the description for anyone who wants to watch Daniel's TEDx talk. But I do want to cover a couple in more detail. Um, But first, why don't you give us your sort of dual definition of ai please so we're all all on the same page
2: yeah there's obviously a huge amount of confusion around what ai is and isn't but um that they're the really uh two definitions. The first one I think is popular but weak, which is getting computers to do things that humans can do. So over the past decade, we've managed to get um, neural networks to to do things that traditionally only human beings could do like corresponding natural language, like chatbots, and r- recognize objects and images. And when we get machines to behave like humans and because humans are the most intelligent thing we know in the universe, we assume that that's intelligence. Now I would argue that humans are not intelligent, but that's a whole different talk. There's a, there's a, there's a much better definition of AI that comes from the definition of intelligence, which is goal-directed adaptive behavior. And, and for me, the most important word in that definition is adaptive. What we want to do is ultimately build systems that make decisions, learn about whether those decisions are good or bad, adapt them themselves so that next time they make better decisions and, and actually building adaptive systems is extremely difficult. There's less than a handful of companies in the world, I think, can do it safely uh, and ethically.
1: Yeah, I think that was one of the things in in choosing the slightly broader definition for this paper is that it's the the more uh, narrow definition is so small today and probably still quite small in ten years time that um, you know we wouldn't have wouldn't have maybe captured as much of the the change that was progressing. Um, so that's great. Let's talk about what you call the economic singularity. What do you mean by that? And what's the gist of what it could mean for marketing organizations?
2: yeah so so I, I, as you said most people might have heard of the technological singularity which is where we build a super intelligence um there's obviously a lot of uh, uh, hype and media coverage around that um, a good friend of mine called callum chase he coined the economic singularity which is um, essentially when we automate the majority of human labor so there is a concern around job losses and at the moment we're obviously using ai and these technologies to remove tasks from work which is great we're getting computers to do things that humans can do we're building adaptive systems uh, that they're able to make decisions and again take that away from human beings which is great but the impulse to reduce costs in a, in a company probably means that if we can remove whole jobs we will and there is a concern that um, over the next 15 years we will uh, have mass technological unemployment and our economies are not are not um ready uh, or set up to deal with um that uh, of un- unemployment and people have said well we've always created jobs in other industrial revolutions why is this any different and, and i think that in, in other industrial revolutions people have been able to retrain and get new jobs yes it was painful yes it took time but in in, in this case um any new jobs that we create are likely to be taken by ai so people are not going to be able to retrain fast enough not going to be able to get new jobs and we might have a long sustained um uh, uh, economic impact now actually i controversially think we should be accelerating towards the economic singularity i actually think we should be using ai to remove the friction from the creation and dissemination of goods so i think actually we should be removing human labor as fast as possible um, and actually bring the cost of goods down so much that it. education nutrition all energy all of the things that we depend on to survive we could remove so much friction from them that they become free and we end up living in a world of abundance so if we get the timing wrong we'll have lots of people without jobs and potentially mass um, uh, social unrest if we get the timing right we could end up living in a world of abundance
1: i mean maybe this is an interim stage but i think how i it happening at least first or more likely in in some of some of the endeavors in advertising right is more of an augmentation so ai could be very good at throwing up a bunch of suggestions for something and what humans are better at is sort of refining narrowing down um, you know give me 10 more like this ai is great at generating you know a thousand more like that and humans can then again narrow down filter um, until they get to something that is the best combination of both types of intelligence
2: Yeah, actually, I think that there's probably going to be three Three things that could happen to take the edge off this. One, you're absolutely right, aug- augmentation, um, and and I think that you're right. We, we'll end up needing humans in the loop or AI in the loop longer than than potentially we anticipate. The second is um, is actually more uh, granularity around jobs. People might be a delivery driver today, a designer tomorrow, a data scientist the next day. So so instead of you just working for one company, could uh, we end up creating more of a, a kind of an ultra gig economy where you you have a portfolio career and are filling the gaps where they exist. So that's another possibility and, and I think is likely to happen. And the, and the third actually, which is quite interesting from again, a marketing perspective is new economic models of exchange. So you could imagine if you can't, for example, afford to pay for your haircut, could you go into a, a hairdressers, get your haircut for free, but there's some company that's paying for that haircut to utilize your time, um, your resource while you're sitting there for 30 minutes doing your hair so so rather than you paying for the hair somebody else is paying for it um as a as some sort of economic exchange and the, the, again is underpinned and enabled by technology
1: yeah I um I like that my haircuts take longer than 30 minutes and it does feel like time that you know usually reading but could be maybe better spent um, what are some of the other milestones along the way i mean i'm thinking again specifically in terms of marketing organizations we talked a little bit before about um potentially how something like digital twins could be used to create a more effective organization does what does that look like
2: yeah so i I, again the, the the idea is that these technologies are really good at removing friction And again, I hope that that friction means that costs become lower. So the price of goods become lower. That means that they become more abundant. But um, we're able to use AI to solve problems across marketing, across the supply chain. So we might be able to use AI to... Op- optimize pricing to um, route vehicles to deliver more more goods to be able to optimize our warehouses we can use ai these technologies to solve problems across the supply chain but if you for example build, build an ai that could optimize pricing that then ended up creating a massive demand of your goods then can you can you um, do you have enough r- uh, room in your w- warehouse to hold those goods do you have enough vehicles to be able to deliver those goods and and the the promise of a digital twin is to be able to connect um this uh, entire supply chain through to marketing so you can create an entire simulation of your organization so you can predict if i increase 20 percent demand over here will i be able to actually fulfill that customer and if not what do i need to change in my supply chain to make sure that I can fulfil that customer. So essentially, it's building smarter, connected organisations. And the exciting, the other exciting thing about digital twins for me is actually being able to identify capacity within the supply chain. So knowing that you've got a warehouse with a certain amount of um, a glut of product, or you've got a an extra person in a store, or you've got uh, another vehicle that's sitting there doing nothing, could you use that capacity to actually inform hyper-localised marketing campaigns? So can I drive more footfall to that? or can I get more people to buy that product? Essentially, digital twins allow organizations to be much smarter, much more adaptable.
1: Cool. so um, now there are some, I don't know, fairly lofty ideas I'm gonna say in your definition of the social singularity around uh, basically curing death, but um, let's park that one for a minute and let's spend a moment talking about some of the more, some of the potential risks of AI. Um, and these crop up more in what you call the the political and the legal singularities. Um, and I think sometimes it feels like we're much closer to achieving these than we are to achieving any of the more sort of positive or productive outcomes of AI advancements.
2: Yeah, the political and legal singularities, I think, actually are something that WPP really have to face into. Um, but these are um, at the forefront of the things that we do. So the political singularities is, is essentially um, uh, <coughs> where we um, can't determine what's true. And, and and this is um, this is being accelerated by content that's being created by by um, misinformation bots. It's um, content that's being created through um, avatars uh, and um, uh, even uh, AIs that are mimicking CEOs, getting the accounts department to pay invoices. We we are as you might as you mentioned, we we you could argue that some of us are already living in a post truth world where we we cannot believe anything that we are are shown through our screens and uh, and one of the things i think that we need to do is figure out how do we authenticate um content and um because if if we lose our um our uh, belief uh, in 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 the authenticity of these uh these pieces of content then it not just is challenging our political foundations it just challenges the fabric of our entire reality and, um, and and I think that this is definitely something we need to face into, and, and of course these technologies are going to be better and better at um, at generating content um, that is highly customized to, to 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 us. So that that's the political singularity. The legal singularity is um, when surveillance becomes ubiquitous. Now, um, some might argue there are companies uh, or even governments that that now know so much, much about you and have the ability to. Manipulate your decision making, and and that's an incredibly powerful position to be in. Um, if I if my, my goal is to is to accumulate wealth or power or whatever, if I can if I can manipulate large portions of the globe to to satisfy my own gain, that's an incredibly powerful position. And we need to we we need to mitigate against that that risk. And 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 I think concepts like blockchain decentralization um, are actually going to help us uh, uh, solve some of these 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 challenges.
1: Yeah. Um, so we have some open questions at the back of the report suggesting a need you know, around especially these ideas for the industry to work together to ensure AI safety and, and protection really for consumers and, and all humans when it comes to AI entering all these facets of society. Um, what you know is it all just questions at the moment? Like what, <laughs> what how do we move forward from here?
2: i' I, I don't think these questions, and I think that actually one of the other singularities is, is is highlighting this, which is the environmental singularity, which is where we are we we create uncontrollable ecological collapse. So I think obviously there's a huge concern that we are putting pressure on our planetary boundaries and uh, and that could cause a, a, an unsustainable planet for our species. And, companies are realizing that they need to all play a part in solving this problem and and i actually believe that ironically the the collective purpose of all of these enterprises are going to make this glorious future for us um I don't, i'm not necessarily confident that governments are going to solve these problems but i think that companies realize that without having an incredibly strong purpose coupled obviously with a sustainable business model that they're going to fail to attract customers they're going to fail to attract um, even talent so so Creating a purpose, living that purpose and achieving that purpose is going to be important for all companies to survive. And I hope that collective purpose of all of those enterprises are actually going to solve many of these problems that are going to face us over the next several decades.
1: I I hope so, too. Um, Okay, last question. What's at the bleeding edge of your work with AI right now at WPP? What should we be looking forward to seeing in the coming months in terms of advancements in advertising and marketing applications?
2: Oh, we we are working on a lot of stuff, particularly around content intelligence, understanding what content um, is going to work. Uh, and that's an incredibly complex problem because you need to look at essentially you need to model the planet to understand what's going on and what content content's going to, to land well. Um, the, the thing that I'm particularly excited about is, is actually uh, our workforce and future of work initiatives. So Satalia um, are, I think, pioneers in how we think about making organizations operate more effectively, how we can unlock the creative capacity from people by freeing them from doing mundane things but also by giving them a dynamic environment for them to to innovate to to come up with with things that are going to make the world better and and one of the things i'm really excited about is utilizing or you don't tell mark read this but using <laughs> wpp uh, 120,000 people to, as a, as an experimental playground to, um, to 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 make this organization the most organi- the most creative it can can be, and then be able to take those ideas and scale them to a planet. I, I want to unlock the creative capacity of everybody on this planet so we can create innovations, bring those innovation prices down to zero so we create a world of abundance.
1: I'm sure Mark Reed, uh, CEO of WPP, is a frequent listener, so... <laughs> <laughs> You might be in trouble there. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very, very much for your time. Um, Great to chat, as always, and and really appreciate you uh, coming on the pod to talk to us about artificial intelligence.
2: Thanks, Kate. Kate,
0: so I I have a question for you. What's your favorite representation of AI in movies or pop culture?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um, You know, I've... (laughs) I've watched Wally so many times with the kids that that's, that's up there, I think. But, um, you know, I grew up watching a, a lot of Star Trek The Next Generation, so I think Data Data might oh, be it.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, I, I mean, hey, talk about a good segue into stuff that's happening. Uh, the new season of Picard will have uh, Brent Spiner back,
1: I think? Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Okay, oh, that's yeah, exciting. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to introduce my uh, my kids to uh, next generation as well it Still, it still stands up yeah uh so beyond uh upcoming uh, Brent Spiner as uh data uh next week I, I've got some things I'm looking out for uh you know around new data on March economic activity in the U.S. and China I think I think we get inflation data retail sales probably by next Friday um stuff that I think will probably give a good sense of uh around some of the concerns that a lot of certainly marketers and, and businesses and consumers and governments uh, have right now. Uh, yeah, anything, standing out for you, anything standing up for you for next week?
1: Um, All of that will be interesting. I mean, have you been hearing sort of consensus on where the experts are expecting inflation to net out?
0: I, I don't. Well, I mean, I think it's high. I mean, I don't think there's any expectation of it coming down, but I think we just get more detail. And I guess the, you know, the the bigger it, the bigger trends will just continue to evolve based on you know the events out there and certainly what's happening with supply chains what's going on in china right now in terms of um large parts of that country being uh, shut down and uh so i think really events probably will matter more than the numbers but i think we just get a better read on what happened uh, which is going to be pretty important
1: yeah it's interesting to pair what you're reading in all these uh you know government statistics websites against what you're seeing in the real world. I was on a longer drive yesterday, driving past a bunch of um, car dealerships near here. And just like some of them are completely empty still inventory. I was speaking with our colleague in Australia who said the same thing. People are buying cars sight unseen um, just because the inventory is so low.
0: And that also speaks to just the underlying healthiness of the economy, even if people don't feel very good about it. So, yep, exactly. But we feel good about this week, next week here at Group M, (laughs) and we hope you do too. Uh, We'll look forward to coming back next week when we'll get more of this week and next week.
1: Okay, that was a lot of this week, next week. Excellent. Thanks, Brian. Thanks very much. This week, next week is hosted by me, Kate Scott Dawkins, and Brian Weiser. Our producer is Jared Bayman. Our showrunner is Sam Weston. The views and opinions expressed here are our own and are not intended to represent those of Group M, or its clients. If you have questions, comments, or requests for future segments, let us know at business.intelligence at groupm.com.